You know, prayer is such an amazing gift, isn't it? That we can come to the Lord anytime, any place, anywhere. That we can share the concerns of our hearts, that we can talk to Him, listen to Him, have that communication with Him. We don't just serve a God that, that says, just do these things, and that's what it is to serve Him. So just give your offerings, just come to church, just do this and do that, sing a few songs. We have a God that says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to talk to you. I want you to listen to me. I want to guide you. I want to lead you through life. That's what prayer is all about. Some people said this. St. Teresa said, for prayer is nothing else than being on terms of friendship with God. Isn't that beautiful? Prayer is nothing else than being on the terms of friendship with God. When you're friendly with someone, you go and chat to them. You don't mind. You, you don't, you know, are you free? You just go in there. You go chat. You just talk about everything and nothing. How many of you have ever been out and you've, you've just started off with something and then you've, you've carried on and you chatted and chatted and chatted and then you finally said, well, that's put the worlds to rights. Now we can go home again. You know, and, and you hadn't planned on that, but that's what friendship does. You know, you can, you can spend a whole afternoon just chatting and sorting out every other problem in the whole history of humanity, and then you go home with it all fixed, except they haven't told anybody else or your solutions, that's the only problem. Mother Teresa said this, joy is prayer, joy is strength, joy is love, joy is the net of love by which you can catch souls. Gandhi said this, prayer is not asking, it is a longing of the soul. It is a daily admission of one's weakness. It is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. True words coming from Gandhi. He also said this, prayer is the key of the morning and the bolt of the evening. Key in other words, prayer is what you do to unlock the day, and it's what you do at the end to close it back up again. Nguyen said this, prayer is the most concrete way to make a home in God. So many different thoughts about prayer, but we're going to look in God's Word. Because today's reading from Matthew's Gospel gives us insight into how we make prayer effective. What is it? There are certain things that we need to do, certain things we need to realize to make our prayers, our conversation with God, effective. Matthew, if you turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, there are two requests and two things that are asked of Jesus, one after the other. One is ineffective, and the other one is effective. If you look in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20, he said, The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Jesus replied in verse 21, What is it that you want? And she went on then to say, Well, grant that one of these two sons may sit at your right and the other at your left. And Jesus just went, Oh my goodness, you don't even know what you're talking about. And then, then he, he went on to explain it's the wrong question. It was, it was inappropriate. But if you look down into the passage we're going to look at today, you have two blind men. And they come to Jesus, or Jesus comes towards them, and they ask Jesus, 
And it says in verse 32 of that same chapter 20, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same thing that Jesus asks to the mother. And yet in the case of those two blind guys that are there, they receive their sight and their world changes. Whereas in the case of the mother of Zebedee's sons, the request is denied. What makes the difference? What makes prayer effective? Very different responses to the same question. Why? As I said, it's the privilege of us to ask of God. It's the privilege of us to communicate with God. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. Knock, the door will be opened. He says, come to me, ask, seek, knock. I'm going to respond. But here in this passage, it goes a little bit deeper and we can gain more insight. Lord, as we read your word today, as we read this passage, as we read your account as you met these two blind guys that were there in Jericho, speak to our hearts, speak to our souls, speak to our lives. Lord, we want to be effective for you. Teach us how to do that. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 29, he says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Quite a simple story in many ways. One that we could just kind of pass by and go, oh, that was good. But let's look at it in a little bit of detail. The first thing is that we notice that these two men who were blind knew what they wanted. Look at verse 30. It says, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They knew what they wanted from God. They knew without any shadow of a doubt that they wanted their sight returned. Maybe if you flip back to Matthew chapter 9, maybe they'd heard on the grapevine, so to speak, about what had happened in Capernaum. Capernaum's a number of miles away, but there in chapter 9 on verse 27, Jesus was there and two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus goes on to heal them. And I imagine that word on the streets then got out. What happened in Capernaum? Did you hear what happened? Jesus there healed a couple of blind guys as well. You guys are blind. Wonder if he's coming. Why don't you ask if he's coming? Well, what did they say? What happened? Well, they just stood there and they shouted out, Son of, Ma- Son of David, have mercy on us. And so they, well, they must have thought, well, if, if he did it there, why can't he do it with us? What was it against? Son of David, have mercy on us. Okay, let's remember that. It worked for them. Maybe it'll work for us too. And so the word must have got out. 
And so they started to wonder. They were determined to regain their sight. They knew exactly what they wanted. And we need, when we pray, to know exactly what it is we're asking God to do. James, in chapter 1, we looked at this in our Bible study the other night. He says this, James 1, beginning at verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So the Bible says, James is saying to us, look, we need to be confident about what it is we're asking for. So many times, if I'm honest in my own prayers, I kind of like, well, I kind of wouldn't mind that, but actually it doesn't really matter. Or it's like, Lord, I really, really want that, but I'm not sure you're going to give it to me. I'm not even sure it's really good for me, to be honest. So, and, and my emotions, my, my feelings on it are mixed. And I'm like a double-minded man. I said, well, I'll, I'll ask. You never know. You know, you kind of do that, well, you don't get if you don't ask kind of thing. You've heard that? You know, well, you've got to ask, otherwise you're not going to get anything. And we come to God and we say, you know, like, Lord, well, if I don't ask, I don't get, so I may as well ask you. But actually, the Bible says that's not even worth thinking about. You need to know what it is that you really need. What is it you're asking God for? What is that inside of you that says, I'm going to ask for this because this is something we need? You see, prayer does two things. Probably does a lot more. But the two things I want to say first of all, prayer prepares the ground unto which whatever you're asking for is received. It, it builds, somebody described it as kind of like building the nest before the egg is laid. That's what prayer does. It builds the, the situation around it. It doesn't necessarily happen straight away, answers to prayer, but what happens straight away is that that ground starts being tilled. It starts to become fertile. It starts to get the rocks out the way. It starts to remove things so that it's ready for when the full answer comes to that prayer. The second thing that prayer does is, is that it changes us who prays so that we are ready to receive whatever it is that God wants to give for us. And you need both of those things. Why, why has it taken, if you want to take an example of this church, why, why has it taken 16 years for God to start pouring out? Not that he hasn't been pouring out his blessing way before we came here. Because he had his hand on Trinity. But why, why are we seeing an increase in the blessing right now? Why, why are we getting 18 members? And last Sunday, other people came up and said, Hey, I didn't know about a membership class. What about me? When's the next one? And I'm going, oh, okay, okay. Like, you know, we'll have to organize another one. Why is God doing that now? Because prayer over 16 years and probably way before I ever came. I'd love to know what the prayer of our forefathers in this place was. I really would. Because I bet you it was the same prayer. I bet you they were praying for today and for tomorrow. Way before they even knew anything about it. 
But that's what prayer does. It builds, it builds the surroundings. It builds the, the um, it's like it prepares the soil, builds the nest up. But also, 16 years of prayer has changed me. In praying 16 years, I'm a very different person than when I started. Because that prayer, that constant, Lord, come. Lord, do your stuff. Come on, Lord. When? Remember, every single year at Pentecost, I used to pray, Lord, bring your spirit down like you did on that first Pentecost. I want to see the fire falling from the roof. You know, we've got a special budget set aside in case it goes up in flames. Lord, just bring it down. You know, we've got it saved up just in case that. But I'm, and then every after, you know, day after Pentecost, Lord, why wasn't it this year? But it was God's preparing me as he prepares you as he prepares the church. And it's the same in every prayer that we ask God. These guys, they must have been there thinking, you know what, it happened in Capernaum? It's going to happen. Are we going to say it when he comes? What happens if he doesn't come? What are we going to do? And all that, all that discussion between them, all that, knowing what they wanted, we want to receive our sight back. Just give us a chance. Was preparing them as well as preparing the ground around them. They knew first what they wanted. Secondly, they knew the right time. Look, the two men were sitting by the roadside when they heard that Jesus was going by. There's a time and there's a season in prayer. They heard that he was going by and they grabbed the moment. Now, they were blind. They couldn't go unless, like with the blind uh, or the, uh, the lame guy, they had friends to take them to where Jesus was. They had to wait until Jesus came by. So they would have their spot. They would sit there every single day. Near, in between the two Jerichos, there's an old Jericho and a new Jericho. And they sat in the road that went from the old city to the new city. And they sat there in that place every day, asking for generous donations from people that walk by, going between the two. And they must have heard, where's Jesus now? Where is he? Which city is he in? He was in Capernaum last time. Is he getting any closer to Jericho? Where has he gone? He's not going to pass us by, is he? Is he going to go a different way? What happens if he doesn't come to Jericho? What are we going to do? They were there waiting. And when that moment came, you know what? I've heard that Jesus, and I bet you, everybody that went past, day after day, they were going, you know where Jesus is? Where is he? Which city is he in? Is he getting closer? And then finally, they had that news. You know what? We think Jesus is in the vicinity of Jericho. And they went, this is the moment. This is the moment. We can't miss this moment. They could have just stayed there, waited there, said nothing. Let Jesus walk on by and there'd be another two blind guys by the side of the road. That would have been it. But you see, when Jesus answers the prayers, you see it's because the people grab the opportunities. Every time. Think about the woman with the bleeding. What did she do? She grabbed hold of Jesus. She said, I'm not, I'm not getting out of here until I've got my healing today. What about the guy in the pool of Siloam? He said, here I am, but I can't get in. Jesus fixed the problem. I'm waiting, but I get pushed aside. Jesus sorted out. Everybody who receives their healing in the Bible is because they grab that moment when Jesus is near. 
And there's a spiritual timing in prayer. There's that prep time, but then there's also a time for action. And now this moment was a time for action. The Bible says, Jesus says, come near and I'll come near to you. And there is a time when you know inside of you now is the moment. Now is the moment and we have to act upon it. The preparation has been done. Now it's a time to receive the fullness of what God has in store for you. And so they prepare, they wait, and when that moment comes, they hear that Jesus is going by and they start shouting out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. You see, the third thing is they knew who to ask and they knew how to ask. Look what they say, Lord, first of all. Lord is master. He gives Christ his, his, his rightful status. It's saying, I am down here, you are up here. You are the master, I am the servant. And it shows a humility that these two guys have towards Jesus. Secondly, they say, son of David. Now, son of David is what they call the Messiah in the Old Testament. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, that I will make your name great. David's name. So son of David was recognized by all the Jews around as being, this is the the name, one of the names of the Messiah. Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is David writing. So the son of David was what they recognized as the Messiah. So here you have two blind guys that are not even allowed to go worship because of their physical condition, saying, shouting out, this guy who's coming, this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one. He is God. And then they say, because of that, have mercy. He is not only God, but he has the ability of God to have mercy, to look at us and to heal us. There's a tremendous shout of faith in who God is, in who Jesus is. And Jesus saw that faith. He heard that faith of those people. It wasn't any like, oh Lord, if you're willing, if you're able can you heal us? None of that. It was a statement in front of everybody else. This guy is the Lord. This guy here is the Messiah, the one that we're waiting for. He is God. And this guy here is the one that can heal us and give us our sight back. And when we come to God, we need to come to him recognizing and proclaiming exactly who he is. None of this, Lord, if it's your will be done stuff. Right? That's gone. If you don't know it's his will, you're double-minded. First, find out what his will is. When you're confident of what his will is, then come to him and say, Almighty God, the Lord of heaven and earth, this is your will. This is what you're going to do. Now is the right time. That is why I'm calling out to you. Healer of the nation, of the heavens. You know, like you are the one, the king above every other king. We know who you are. We know what you're capable of doing. And we believe this is the time. Now come and show it. And those two blind men recognized that and they knew who to ask. They knew how to ask. Fourthly, look at this. What did the crowd do? They tell him to shut up. They say, hey guys, shut up. You down there, shut up. Why do they say that? Because they had a different agenda. They are, we're here to follow Jesus. We want to see what he's going to do. We're here. We're Jericho. You know, he's on his way to Jerusalem. 
We want to see whether the uh, leaders are going to turn up. We want to see what's going to happen here. We're, we're looking for something here. We're following. We're interested in all of this. What's going on? And they just wanted them to be quiet because they're going, you know what, you're messing on with our agenda here. Just shut up. Be quiet. Jesus will walk on by. We'll follow him. You stay there. We'll throw you a couple of coins, maybe. Just be quiet. And there will always, always, always be adversity, opposition, discouragement. There are always people inside and outside of God's family with different agendas. And they will tell you and try and get you to shut up. When you are crying out to God, when you are saying, Lord, I know who you are, I know what, uh, what you're asking me to ask of you, people will say, they'll try and quiet your voice. Don't do it, don't let them. And the beautiful thing about this is that there were two of them there. Look at verse 30, two of them. I think the reason that there are two men, you know, this account is also in in, uh, Mark and Luke with Bartimaeus, and it only records one. But here in Matthew, it says there were two. So one was called Bartimaeus. We don't know the other name. But it's important that there were two, because when there are two of you standing together in agreement... You can encourage one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When you are there on your own, standing and shouting, and opposition comes, there is a tendency for us to retreat. But when you are standing side by side with someone else, you go to them, are you going to retreat? Uh-uh, not me. Are you going to stay here? Yeah, I'm going to stay here. And so you go, tell you what, should we shout even louder? Yeah, let's do it. And off you go and you shout louder. Now why do you do that? You do that because you're bearing and carrying one another's burdens. You're standing together. And when you stand together as we are supposed to in the body of Christ, then we will not back down. Even though different agendas come in the way, even though people try to shut you up, you will shout even louder because you know that what you're saying is the truth. And you're not going to listen to their agenda. And so what I would say to you today is, If you are praying for something, share it with someone else you trust. Ask them firstly to pray for it with you. Secondly, ask them to keep you accountable to one another to keep on praying. So that they will say to you, David, are you still praying for this? And they will ask you every time. You'll be scared to phone them up if you stop praying. Right? It's going to be like that. Because they'll be going, David, when was the last time you prayed about this? I'm praying. You better be praying as well. And you're going, oh, um, well, see, it's kind of, well, you know, you know how busy it gets in ministry? Kind of, and they'll go like, stop the nonsense, get on your knees, start praying again. And they'll keep you accountable to what it is God is asking. And the beauty of this, I'm sure, even though it doesn't say it, is that the two of them, just look, well, they wouldn't have looked at one another, both blind. But they go, are you going to keep shouting? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep, let's just make it even louder. I'm not, I'm not backing down. Are you backing? No, I'm not backing down. This is our moment. You know, Jesus said it in the, in the persistent widow in Luke 18. Do you remember that story? 
about the widow who comes for justice to the judge. And the judge says, go away, go away. I'm not interested in you. Go away. And they just keep coming. Anybody watch, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it. Um, there's this program. Uh, what's the name of that program that the guy keeps banging on the door? Penny. Big Bang Theory. You ever watch that? There's this irritating guy, and he goes up to every door, and he goes, Penny, 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 and he won't, he won't stop until somebody answers the door. I started doing that with the office. I changed it from Penny to Elaine, by the way, but, you know. She goes, stop it, I'm here. But that's the story of the persistent widow. You just keep banging and banging. And Jesus said, you know what that judge will give because you're so irritating? He'll give. How much more will God give if you keep on, keep on, keep on? Why do we have to keep on? He already knows he's going to give it. But we keep on, as I said before, because maybe it's a part of clearing the ground. Maybe it's a part of getting yourself ready to receive everything he wants to give you. But these guys, they keep on going. They're persistent, even in the face of adversity. So get someone alongside. You're praying for someone, get someone alongside to hold you accountable, to keep you going. That's what these guys do. So they shout out even louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And then look what happens in verse 32. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Now, it's interesting here that they're calling out to Jesus. They're saying, Lord, you are God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus just stops where he is and he calls for them to come to him. He kind of plays the role of the king, if you like. You're calling me a king? Okay, you come to me. Kings don't go out to where other people are. The queen wouldn't come round to your house just because she thought it might be a good idea, what happens is you get an invite to her place. She doesn't get a cab and say, you know, I'm going to come to Pauline's today. You know, I haven't seen her for... No, she will send a special envelope with a royal seal on it and say, Pauline, would you like to come for a cup of tea with me? And Pauline will have to dress up and go to where the queen is. Not the queen, come to her. In the same way, Jesus stood there and he said, you guys... You're recognizing, you're calling me the King of Kings. You're calling me the Messiah. Then you come. And so these guys, and it says in, uh, in Luke's gospel, they threw off their cloaks that they were on. They got up. And then what happens? Well, if Pauline was to go to the queen, she wouldn't just go, I got the invite. Here I come. Where is she? Which room in this big palace is she in? No, they would give the invite at the door and the courtiers would come. I will escort you to see the queen. And then they would take Pauline and they'd, they'd probably give her a few lessons about etiquette on the way, about how you're supposed to, you know, curtsy and, and what you're supposed to say because you can't just say, Hiya, Liz, can you? You have, to, you have to say, you know, Your Royal Highness and, and so on. And, and it's, it's all done quite correctly, as it should be. And they would teach that to you on the way and then you'd be shown in to your audience and your cup of tea and your piece of cake or whatever. And in the same way, these guys then, so the crowd that are silencing them must have then had to pick them up and taken them to where Jesus is. So Jesus actually gets the crowd involved in this. They're kind of like the courtiers. 
taking these two guys over to where Jesus, because Jesus doesn't move. They come over to Jesus, it says in the, other, in the other gospel. And then he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now the thing is here, they could have asked for anything. When God says to you, what is it you really want from me? They could have said, actually, you know this sight thing? Why don't we just ask for the lottery? Why don't we stay where we are? But actually, we wouldn't have to beg then. We could just live in a, we could have our own servants looking after us. We could ask God to open the storehouses of heaven to give us enough money. We could have asked for status. Could have asked for anything they wanted, but they asked because Jesus gave them a formal proposal as a king does. What do you want? And they said, we want our sight. Now the thing is here, that when you ask God for something, you need to be prepared for the response. You see, when they asked for their sight, every aspect of their life changed. They no longer had their pitch by the side of the road. That was gone. They weren't allowed to sit there and beg for money anymore. And they would be given enough to eat every day because it was a a duty of the community to look after the hungry, to look after those who were blind. They would receive enough because they're still part. They had a place within the community. As soon as they had their sight back, what changed? Well, they needed to go and get an education for starters. They needed to find work. Then maybe they needed to, you know, get involved in the community in a completely different way that was completely foreign to them. Maybe then they would have to get married within their community because now they were eligible to be married and they would then have responsibility of a wife and maybe some children as well coming on the scene. Everything within their life would have changed. And we have to recognize that when we ask for God to come and do something, it's going to cause change within us. There will be increased responsibilities. Our life will change. Sometimes we ask for things and we say, Lord, I want this, but I don't want any changes going on because I like it just as it is right now. Thanks very much. Can you do that bit? But don't do this bit. And the Lord says, that's not the deal here. You imagine how Trinity will change when this place is flooded with people. Can you imagine? At the moment, some of you guys, you turn up at quarter past. I kind of wander in at quarter past sometimes. Imagine you come at quarter past, there's not a single chair left. I've been to a church in London. I turned up like a quarter of an hour early and I had to queue around the corner. And I was queuing for half an hour and when I got near to the door, they said, sorry, we're full. You can't come in. So I had to take my son off for a nice lunch instead. But we were upset. We could not go into worship because health and safety meant the 3,000 or so that were there were already there. Every seat was taken. You can't stand. Fire regs don't allow it. Trinity will be like that. That we will have to get here early on a Sunday to get a seat. Even earlier if you want your own seat that you're used to sitting in. 
There'll be a scramble at the door. I've seen a church where they actually scramble in at the door to get their front row seats. Most churches, it's a scramble to get the back row seats, but not this church. But things will change. Responsibilities change. As Trinity continues to grow, and it's going to grow faster and faster and faster, this place is going to change quicker and quicker and quicker. But the responsibilities within that changes too. And we need to recognize when you ask God, are you prepared for that change? Are you prepared for those responsibilities that will come to you when he answers that prayer? And lastly, look what happens when Jesus does respond. It says, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them. The first thing Jesus does, he's touched insides. Literally, compassion means a kind of gut-wrenching. It's like that emotional the part that comes right from the inside of you when something touches you so deeply. And that happened to Jesus. He saw them. He had compassion on them. Something really touched the core of who he was with these two men. And so he touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed. Jesus in that moment touched them and his touch was coupled with action. They received their sight. Luke 18, where it's recorded too, it says, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And so it wasn't just a physical healing that went on in these two men, but a spiritual healing as well. Because look what happens as the result. It says, these guys then came up and followed Jesus. They followed him. Again, in Luke, it says they gave thanks. They were praising God, and everybody there started praising God because of the praise of these two guys. Why? What made the difference? It was because they exercised their faith. They believed who Jesus is, and they acted upon that belief. You know, most people that Jesus healed, he sent them away. Half of them, he said, don't tell anybody about this. Just keep it quiet. Go on. You know, just give thanks to God. That's it. End of story. These two guys, he allowed them to follow him. I wonder if these two were there in that upstairs room when Pentecost happened. I wonder if they were there a lot further on in the life of, you know, the New, the New Testament, in the life of the early church. These two guys still giving witness, still praising God because their, their core had changed. Their faith had changed. They reached out in the faith that they had towards the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He transformed them spiritually as well as, as well as physically. And that's why He said, "Now come, follow Me," because He saw within them that kind of difference. You know, we sing a song. We're going to sing it in a little minute, in a couple of minutes. It says, "We want to see Jesus lifted higher." A banner that flies across the land, that all men might see the truth and know he is the way to heaven. Second verse says this, step by step, we're moving forward. Little by little, we're taking ground. Then what? Every prayer is a powerful weapon for strongholds come tumbling down and down. Prayer is a powerful weapon. But it's only powerful in the hands of people who know how to use it. 
You know, you, I could pick up an AK-47. But if I don't know where the safety catch is, it's not much use to me. If I don't know how to load the bullets into it, it's not much use to me. It's a powerful weapon in the hands of a guy that knows how to use it. He could probably wipe us all out. I could pick up a big, one of those big old swords, you know, a two-handed sword. And if I knew how to use it, it would be powerful. I could go in a battle with it. But if I don't know how to use it, I probably don't know how to lift it properly, and I'll be staggering around with this thing, and then somebody will come and slice me one because I wouldn't know what to do with it. I wouldn't know how to defend myself. I wouldn't know how to attack with it. I would not know how to use it. Prayer is that powerful weapon. And in the right hands of people who know how to use prayer, how to access that relationship with Jesus Christ, strongholds come tumbling down. But with those who do not know, with those who never read the Gospels, never read Scripture, to know, to learn how to use it, it becomes about as effective as a two-handed sword in my hand would be. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I wouldn't know. What about you today? What are you asking God for in your life? What are you asking God to do? If you were there sitting by that road and Jesus came walking along, what would you ask him to do? Would you just let him walk on by? Or would you be crying out saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And he will stop and he will look at you and say, what is it you want me to do for you? What are you going to say to him? Are you prepared? Are you ready? Because he's asking you that today. Lord, I want to thank you for the example of these two men. How ironic in your word. The two men who weren't even allowed to go and worship you demonstrated such faith, such trust, such knowledge in who you were, who you are, that they trusted you enough to receive their healing. Physical and spiritual healing. You came upon them. And I thank you that Matthew, Mark and Luke all recorded this so that we may learn from it too. Prayer is a powerful weapon. It breaks down, it prepares ground, it brings change, it brings difference around us and in our lives too. Teach us to become people of prayer. That we may use the resources that you've given us so that we may access the very courts of heaven, your very presence. Because Lord, you're standing there to each one of us today saying, what can I do for you? I'm your father, I love you. I love to pour out good gifts on my children, you say. What can I do for you? May we ask with that genuine heart, with that openness, with that determination and that perseverance, and so receive all the gifts that you would have for each one of us and have for your church. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.